Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray as we turn to this act of worship, the giving and hearing of a sermon, a preaching of your scripture. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing, so that what is said and what is heard this morning is in accordance to the word of God for the good of God's people and for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I think that we're on uh, pretty safe ground when we say that every single individual to have ever existed or is now alive within all of the world has wanted and wants to be happy, right? right? I mean, most people want to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. The issue isn't whether we want to be happy. The issue really is about how we define happiness, and so while we share a desire to be happy, to find happiness, we define the content of happiness in very different ways. What we say will make us happy, how we define happiness, is typically different for almost everybody. And because how we define happy is different, thus how we get to that goal of happiness is very different. Now, most things in human life, I think it's good for us to step back from and say, okay, this is how things are. Then I think it's good for us to say, is this right? I think it's good for us to say, are we right? Are we right to desire happiness? More to the point, are we right in how we define happy, how we define the content of happiness? And then, are we right in how we go about pursuing that thing we call happy? So let's try to answer the questions for us this morning, just a little bit. Are we right? The desire for happiness, to be happy, is a proper desire. It is not in inherently sinful about desiring a state of well-being. There's, there's nothing sinful about desiring a state of fulfillment, of wholeness, of contentment, of satisfaction. It is, in fact, a natural desire, and it seems to be a desire with which we were created. St. Augustine of Hippo uh, commented on the naturalness, or the, the rightness of this desire when he said, is not the happy life that which, we, that which all desire, which indeed no one fails to desire. What we need to do, however, in saying that it is right for us to want to be happy, what we need to do is to clarify what we mean by happy. And so the other questions we ask, do we define happy correctly? Maybe not so much. Do we go about seeking happiness correctly? Maybe not so much. Let me, let me, let me see if I can sort of unfold what, what I'm thinking, which is a very tricky proposition most of the time. When we say we're happy, most of the time what we're referring to is some kind of internal feeling that is dependent upon an external circumstance or context that surrounds us, right? So think in your mind, what makes us happy? What makes you happy? The kiss of a loved one, the hug of a child, those are things that make me happy. A paycheck that arrives just in time. Puppy breath. Puppy breath makes one happy. The problem is the puppy's breath no longer is puppy breath after about six months. It becomes dog breath, and dog breath is not good. A beautiful sunset 
can make us happy. A, a warm day at the beach, a new car, a promotion, a sixth Super Bowl victory for the jersey of our choice. That will make us happy. <laughs> and the opposite would also be true, right? What makes us unhappy? Well, the dissolution, the breaking of a relationship. A child going to college. Poverty, rainy days while on vacation. Illness, a loss in the national championship game for the jersey of your choice will make us unhappy. So all of these are dependent upon things outside of us and, and really outside of what we can even control, right? And from a biblical, biblical perspective, these things are not true happiness. And our pursuit of these things is an illegitimate pursuit because they cannot satisfy the deepest longings that we have. They really can't satisfy the desire for happiness that we have. They are actually a sign of a deeper desire to be filled and fulfilled in a way that we be lasting and eternal. These things that the world has to offer us, they give us a satisfaction, a momentary feeling of pleasure as dopamine and adrenaline are dumped into our systems, but they fade over time. They're lost. And so what we have to actually do is consistently invest ourselves in them over and over and over again in a never-ending loop of desire and cheap fulfillment leading to more desire to cheap fulfillment. And so it is, we all want to be happy. But the world offers us cheap imitations of true happiness, one that we all too often readily accept. And so if the world offers us imitations and we have a right desire to be happy, but what we're doing is going about looking for happiness in the wrong place, what is the solution? Where is true happiness to be found? If what the world has to offer is simply an imitation, what is the real? Well, true happiness is what the Bible refers to as blessedness. Blessedness is defined by Hans Borsma as ultimate happiness, perfect happiness, which reaches infinitely beyond the cheapening of happiness we have in our own modern world. Where then can this perfect happiness come from? Where can this ultimate happiness come from, this, this greater than, this infinitely beyond? It can only come in Jesus. That's what we see reflected here in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26, as we read the Beatitudes and the woes from Jesus' own mouth. This perfect happiness, ultimate happiness, blessedness, only comes in connection with Jesus. The Beatitudes are Beatitudes because they get us to Jesus, and the woes are woes because these are things that keep us away from Jesus. Jesus is the true heart of true happiness. And so in this sermon, as we look together further at Jesus' beatitudes and woes, my intended goal is for us simply to see and exalt Jesus as the true heart of happiness. And in that, then, to find encouragement for us to find Jesus as the true heart of happiness with a word of warning where Jesus is not to be found in the woes. Back in the mid-90s, uh, singer-songwriter Sheryl Crow crooned, If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Now, Cheryl Crow may think this, and the world may think this with her, but what does Jesus have to say? The things which the world tells us to seek in order to find happiness are things that Jesus specifically calls out in his list of woes. What does the world tell us we need to be happy? What is the live the American dream? Woe to the rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you. When all people speak well of you. 
And as we think, of this, think about this, as we look at this, let's pay very close attention to whom Jesus is speaking. St. Luke writes in six, chapter 6, verse 17, that Jesus was in the midst of a very large crowd. The very center of the crowd was Jesus' 12 disciples. A little bit further out within the crowd, there was a great crowd of his disciples. So there are people, men and women, who have at some level committed trust and in faith in Jesus. They can't fully explain what that means, and they probably don't fully know what that means, but they are following after Jesus for Jesus' own sake because he has the kingdom. And then within that great multitude, that huge crowd, there is a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They'd come to see Jesus. They wanted to hear him preach, but more than that, they wanted to see him work his miracles. So they're at a different level of faith. By the way Luke uses the terms disciple and crowd, they're at a different level of faith. They're all hearing, they're all seeing, but very specifically, St. Luke tells us in verse 20, he lifted his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you, woe to you. So very specifically, Jesus is pronouncing the Beatitudes and the woes to his disciples, the 12 apostles and the wider group of followers in the hearing of those who do not yet believe in him as they did. He does this to proclaim present and future tense blessedness, ultimate perfection, ultimate happiness, based upon their connection to him and as a warning and call of self-reflection and repentance. The Beatitudes and the woes serve as encouragement and warning. They reveal that he is the heart of true happiness, that he is the fulfillment of their deepest desires, that he is the blessedness that they seek. The Beatitudes are the Beatitudes because in these things Christ can be found. The woes are the woes because in these things Christ cannot be found. Christ is the true heart of happiness. And so it is, despite the promises of the world, and unfortunately, despite what you might hear from the pulpits and pens of many prominent pastors, wealth from Jesus' own mouth is a woe. Despite the promises of the world, and despite what you might hear from the pulpits and pens of many prominent pastors, being full from Jesus' own mouth, receiving all the desires of your hearts, this is a cause for woe. The condescending laughter of the gloating haves over the have-nots is a cause for woe, as is people speaking well of you because you tickle their ears. You say what they want you to hear. They want to hear like the false prophets and false teachers. Jesus says this, too, is a woe. But why do these things, why are these things pronounced to be woes? Two words, idolatry and pride. Good things, things of creation, made to be used and enjoyed by humanity, in idolatry, they're turned into ultimate things. And what they do is when we make a good thing into an ultimate thing, it turns the table on us. When we make a thing that we're supposed to use and enjoy into a, a, an idol, it begins to use and enjoy us. It enslaves us us it forces us to serve it and if we ever find ourselves saying if i just have this thing however this might be defined i will be happy then we've just created an idol and then there's pride nothing is more antithetical to the gospel of jesus christ than the self-sufficient pride that is found in the love of money the love of fullness the love of possession the proud gloating and then the tickling of ears in Mark chapter 4, as Jesus explains the parable of the seed and the sower, he says this, The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. Idolatry and pride will kill the gospel. 
Pride blocks the good news that Jesus Christ has come, died and risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins and imparting of new and real life. Here then, for followers of Jesus, there's a warning to keep clear eyes, to keep hearts full of Jesus. And at the same time, for the wider crowd, there is a call to repent and find true happiness, not in the things of this world, but true happiness in Christ. And followers of Jesus then, followers of Jesus now, we need to hear and to heed this warning because the temptation to seek happiness, perfected, perfected happiness, ultimate happiness, in these things of the world, it's great. Let's be honest with ourselves. It is great. The temptation is great. We seek these things because they're easy. We seek these things because the achievement of them we can control. If I just work hard enough, I will put in enough hours and I will receive this amount of money. If I work, just work hard enough, I will put in enough hours and I will receive this promotion. If I just pay enough of this money, then I'll be able to buy a new car or a new house or enough stuff that I have a two-car garage, but I can't get either car into them because of all the stuff I've got. <laughs> and because these things are tangible, they can be touched. They can be tasted, they can be smelled, they can be held. But their ease, our control over them, and the tangibility of them, that does not make them lasting or perfect. And they will not satisfy because they cannot satisfy. If we want to be perfectly happy, we have to find perfect happiness in the only thing that is perfect. And it ain't a wad of cash. I recently read a story about deceased pets in New York City, and I have no clue if there's a true story or not, but it makes the point, so I use it. <laughs> a city made up of concrete and steel, the dignified disposal of deceased pets is a true hurdle to overcome. New York City uh, has about 8 million cats and about 11 million dogs, and the city, as the story goes, the city offers the disposal of uh, deceased pets for $50. An enterprising woman uh, offered to help people take care of their deceased pets for half of what the city would charge, $25. This is what she would do. When someone called her on account of a deceased pet, she would go to the Salvation Army or the Goodwill. She'd buy an old suitcase. She'd then go home, go to the home, and put the deceased pet in the suitcase, and then she'd go for a ride on the New York City subway system, <laughs> where she would set the suitcase down and pretend like she wasn't watching. This being the subway of New York, a thief would come along, snatch up the suitcase, and run away, and she would protest half-heartedly, wait, stop, thief. When we seek the fulfillment of our desire for happiness, for true and lasting happiness through worldly means, we're like the thief in this story. We grab a suitcase with a dead animal hidden within. It cannot deliver on what it promises. Woe to the rich because you've conceived or received your consolation. Woe to the fool because you shall be hungry. Woe to those who laugh because you shall mourn and weep. His point is you've got what you wanted in the here and now, and there is nothing left to be had in the future. Fleeting happiness can be found in the here and now through being full, from having a full bank account and a stomach, a fridge full of food and a house full of stuff. But this is all you will ever have. If in your pride, in your idolatry, this is what you want, this is what you will get, and you will miss the ultimate happiness that is found in Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling his disciples in the hearing of this wider crowd. 
There may be high praise and high esteem. People may love you and speak well of us because like a politician running for office or a pastor seeking warm applause, we say what we know people want to hear. We flatter. We sacrifice truth at the altar of acceptance. But in the future, Jesus makes it quite clear. The future is clear because he says, so their fathers did to the false prophets. In his Beatitudes of Luke chapter 6, Jesus points out where true happiness comes from. It's not in wealth and fullness of possession and in the laughter of the gloating. It's not in the good name because you've sacrificed truth. True blessedness is found only in the true heart, Jesus. One pastor in a sermon on Psalm 1 in blessedness uh, put it this way. To be sure, food, possession, sexuality, all these things are God's good gifts. And they have their own proper place in relation to Christ. But so often we stare ourselves blind at them because we think happiness depends on them. But our happiness is in Christ. And so Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. Ultimate happiness is yours because you're poor. Ultimate happiness is you with hunger now. Ultimate happiness, perfect happiness is you who weep now. A beatitude is simply the pronouncement of blessedness or the pronouncement of happiness and is, is common in the Bible. Psalm 1 begins with a beatitude. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Psalm 2 ends with a beatitude. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jeremiah 7, 17, verse 7, as we heard this morning, is another Old Testament beatitude. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Just like Jesus' uh, beatitudes from Luke chapter 6, these Beatitudes make a declarative statement about happiness that is dependent not upon dopamine and adrenaline, not upon an internal feeling, not upon puppy breath. This is happiness that is dependent upon God, what God has given, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. In these cases, the Beatitudes of Luke chapter 6, blessedness is, as Kenneth Bailey defines, a spiritual condition of divinely gifted joy already present because of what God has done, because of what God is doing, because of what God will do. In the case of Psalm 1, the individual is blessed. He's got this ultimate happiness because the, the, the light of his heart is in the law given by God, the revelation of himself and his character in Scripture. In the case of Psalm 2, all who take their refuge in the Messianic King and the Messiah are blessed. Ultimate happiness is found. Jeremiah 17 is really explicit. Those who trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, the covenant-giving king of Israel, those are the ones who are blessed. And in Luke chapter 6, present and future tense blessings are found by those who live in utter dependence and faith on Jesus, the true heart of happiness. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate, exclude, revile, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus says something here that is upside down from the world and what the world declares. Rather than seeing poverty as a sin, hunger as a problem, or weeping as a fault, Jesus sees these things as the place and space to be blessed, to be truly happy, with ultimate perfection, because they can lead to Jesus himself, the heart of true happiness. 
And while we cannot limit our understanding of poor and, and hungry or of those who weep to the purely physical realm of reality as they reflect spiritual reality as, as well, we, we also can't ignore the socioeconomic reality that lies behind them. What we have here with Jesus' reference to the poor, the hungry, and those who weep are individuals. Individuals, men and women, like the disciples who know who they are with honesty and thus their dependence is upon God. Those who are wealthy have idolatry and pride as a problem. Those who are poor tend to know who they are and what they need. Those who are spiritually poor, those who are pious and humble, have humility in knowing that they need help from the outside. And this place of knowing who we are with honesty is called humility. In fact, one author has said that the Beatitudes describe the characteristics of the humble, poor, or poor in spirit, as Matthew would say that. And so what the world calls a curse, Jesus calls true happiness, precisely because of where these things lead us who have them, true knowledge of the self and true dependence upon Jesus. Jesus says the poor are truly happy because, he says here, yours is the kingdom. In the present tense, the humble and pious are blessed because they have the kingdom. They have the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And so it is, he is, Jesus, the blessedness. Jesus says those who hunger are now are truly happy because you shall be satisfied. There in the present, a fulfillment, there is a, in the present a fulfillment possible because of satisfaction to come. As Jesus, the one who said, I am the bread and the life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, he invites us to his table now and in the future. Jesus is the satisfaction. Jesus says those who weep now will be truly happy because you shall laugh. There is in the present a deep and abiding joy because of the laughter that is to come. Jesus, who is the laughter, who is the joy. And even in the face of persecution, of being hated, there is joy because of Jesus. There is encouragement to take God's perspective that these hurts and sorrows are real. They are true and they hurt, but they are only temporary. And fullness, true happiness comes with heaven. It comes with Jesus. And in fact, with Jesus, heaven has come to earth. The reality is, reflected in these beatitudes, that we can have nothing this world would call a blessing and still have <laughs> blessedness because we are in a relationship to Jesus. We can be truly happy because we have Jesus, the true heart of true happiness. And if, as we said before, wealth and fullness are sought because they are tangible, because they can be felt and held, it must be stated that Jesus has left for himself objective and tangible tokens to be experienced in the present that point us to their fullness in the future. In a few minutes, we will celebrate the Eucharist together, and we will taste the bread upon our tongues and the wine upon our lips, pointing us towards the satisfaction of a heavenly banquet meal. We hear on a Sunday-by-Sunday -Sunday basis and in our Bible study throughout the course of the week, we hear the word of God proclaimed, our, we are fed upon it. We fill the waters of baptism, the oil of anointing. We gather in the presence of one another to sing, to hear, to pray, to receive. All of these things help us in the present as they aim us toward the future and the true heart of happiness is Jesus. Catherine Berger is a woman who lives in Huntsville, Alabama. She suffered a broken pelvis during the delivery of her first child, and her health has spiraled downhill ever since. 
The list of her afflictions now includes a connective tissue disorder, a brain tumor, a heart condition, and cervical disc fusion. Catherine has lost the ability to swallow, and her stomach has ceased to function, and so to feed herself, she injects a solution directly into her intestines. Catherine and her husband were atheists when she was first diagnosed with her illness. Both were highly active. They were physically fit. They were living the American dream. But in the midst of the profound illness, they came to know and trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And in the midst of all her physical pain and suffering, Catherine says this, I don't feel like God owes me anything. Through all the suffering that I've had, he's given me such comfort, such peace, such joy that my life is a thousand times better than it was before. The life I was living before was so empty compared to the life that I have now. My life has gotten better, not worse. I have so much more happiness now than I did before. Catherine is a portrait of the blessedness Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6. She is poor, she is hungry. She's weeping. I would imagine that she has people around her who mock her for her faith in Jesus in the midst of her suffering. And yet, she has Jesus. And in having Jesus, she has the true heart of true happiness. And she says, I have so much more happiness now than I ever did before. In this sermon, we've looked together at Jesus' Beatitudes and woes. We did it in a backwards order, looking at the woes first with the intended goal of us seeing that Jesus is the true heart of happiness. And I hope to encourage this congregation to find Jesus as the true heart of happiness, the author of true blessedness. By way of summary, this is what we've seen this morning. There's nothing sinful about the pursuit of happiness if what we mean is a state of spiritual blessedness that comes externally and objectively from trusting in Jesus, the heart of true happiness. What the world has to offer is just an imitation and a cheap one at that. And so even as believers in Jesus, we can and we do chase after cheap trinkets and fading feelings, while what Jesus has to give us is himself, the true heart of happiness. So the encouragement is found in this. Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus, the place, the person, where ultimate happiness can be found, because he is the true heart of true happiness. And the flip side of the encouragement is also the warning. Warning and encouragement to continually check ourselves and to know ourselves in relation to Jesus, the heart of true happiness. Is there an idol taking root within us? Are we seeking our fulfillment or happiness in some other place through some other means? If so, repent and pray that Jesus would uproot the idol. Jesus said all of this directly to his followers in the hearing of non-believers. And so there is an evangelistic message in this as well. What he's telling the unbelieving world is this. You've got it upside down. Right side up is God's way to true and lasting happiness, not in what the world has to say or offer, not in what you determine to be good and true and right and happy, but in connection only with Jesus, who is the Christ. And so this is a call. This is an offer to meet our desires, our deepest desire for well-being, for blessedness, for true and lasting, perfect happiness in the true way, who is Jesus the heart of true happiness. And so let us find our blessedness in Jesus. May we know ourselves truthfully in light of who Jesus is, and may we know the desires of our hearts in the light of the heart of true happiness, the author of real blessedness, the eternal and perfect Son 
Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we do praise you and give you thanks for your love and your kindness. You want what is best for us. And you want us, Lord, to have ultimate and perfect freedom and happiness in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace that we may see ourselves as poor, as hungry, as weeping, that we may be filled in connection to Jesus and find him our happiness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship as we sing.